So we're here with the first of our real podcast one-shots. Today, we're going to take a little time to talk about Cinderella, the newest movie directed by Kenneth Branagh, starring Lily James and Richard Madden. So today, as always, we have our usual hosts, myself, Vam. Marcus. Mr. Ryan. And we have a special guest with us today, Jen. So we get a very special woman's touch on a children's (laughs) Disney movie. Thanks. Thanks for recognizing that the operation went through. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this does not bode well for Ed, who at least, at some way, is here on video. So him having to explain that is not going to be great for him when people see this. Or hear it, rather. I guess it'll be for the best if I don't mention your last name so they can't look you up and find you. <laughs> so anyways, yesterday, Marcus and I saw Cinderella, and we really, really enjoyed it. And we just wanted to take a little bit of time out of our day to discuss how much we enjoyed this movie. Which I'd like to note really quickly before we get any further, Marcus and I, like, argued with the two women we went with over how good this was, because they apparently didn't like it as much as we did. And it was just so weird to be like, how can you guys not love this children's movie? We didn't even want to see it. We were like, it was so amazing. The costumes, the pageantry. And they're like, it was all right. And I was like, what is wrong with humanity today? What the hell is happening right now? That was so funny, too, because yesterday night, Marcus explicitly said, you just don't like this movie because it was awesome. (laughs) So, (laughs) to their faces. So, he has a pretty clear idea of what he thinks of them. But anyways, we have Jen on the show today, which I'm really excited about. Thank you for taking time out of your day to come talk with us. I thought we would respect that by letting you go first. Why don't you tell us your thoughts on Cinderella? Oh, I get to go first. So excited. Guess over, are we talking like just overall broad picture of this film? Yeah, we'll go into detail a little bit more later, but why don't you right, just okay. give us general thoughts? I honestly, I'm a little emotionally dead on the inside. Not much blood pumping through my heart muscles as far as nicety and compassion and all that nonsense. But I just absolutely adored this film. First of all, it was beautiful, and it just made me, I got chills. I got chills, I'm not going to lie. I got chills from the whimsy. (laughs) (laughs) All right, fine. That's totally fine. Yeah, there's definitely, like, a lot to like about it. I I really enjoyed uh, the colors. I told Marcus, I don't know where they shot that movie, but the setting is so utterly perfect. It's so, like, homey and, like, simple, you know what I mean? I really dug that about it. It's interesting because I feel like with Cinderella, more than any other Disney movie, it's not important to find the most meek but beautiful girl. It's, like, really important to find someone that's very earnest, and I thought Lily James kind of sold that very honest, earnest quality of Cinderella really well, which was, like, the most important quality of that character, and that was really important that they found someone like that, and they really nailed it. And I also really liked, the other thing that was really important to me was they try really hard in very subtle ways to make Cinderella, like, on par with the prince at all times. Every time you see them, they are not, like, it's not, like, the normal thing where the prince is, like, very much taller than she is. They're always of equal height. Have you noticed that? Like, in every scene you see them both, the first time they're on horseback, and then again with the heels, she's always the same height as him, as if they were equals. And I really like how they build that relationship in a way where, like, she has as much to bring to the table as he does in terms of... Of that relationship and I really liked that about it. It was a very mature, very adult Cinderella and I dug that about it. I just didn't want to add one thing. When you're talking about the equality too, when you're looking at the colors of the film, you know, originally she was wearing a pink dress to the ball from the godmother says, 
you know, why don't we, how about blue? How do you feel about, and then if you look at his costuming for that part, he's wearing white mostly, but the accents are all that same light blue. It's a classic Disney tactic that they even just did in Frozen when they were pairing coloring between the uh, characters. You mean in the Frozen short or the like actual movie? In the actual Frozen movie, if you look at, um, not to digress on Frozen, which we could just, you know, have a whole debate about. But if you look at Prince Hans's costuming from the beginning, when you first are introduced to that character, he's wearing the same coloring that would match with Elsa, which implies that he was there to, you know, win the kingdom. And then his next costume change matches the green and black, which Anna's wearing. Oh, because I thought you were mentioning, because if you remember in the short, when uh, Elsa's making the costume... For herself, she makes a costume to pair with uh, Anna's costume. Like, she gives her an outfit and then, like, creates the counter on outfit to that. So I thought you were referring to that because they do that a lot in their stuff, I guess. I'm just saying, it's a very common Disney trick. Draws the implication, even with children, with the impressions of color, drawing, like, oh, you know those two characters are supposed to go together. They match. Exactly. They have this very subtle way of implying, like, people compliment each other, and that's definitely a really good thing to have mentioned. There are a number of scenes where they really utilize cinematography very well. There's one scene in particular where they know that Lily James's mom's going to die, mm-hmm. and it pans out through the hallway of the house and then slowly kind of pans back down through them walking away from, I guess, the burial of the mother, and I thought that was really well composed. And I loved how they would use that same style and technique when they were showing off the like the vista of the kingdom. They would rise the camera up and you would see the boats and the castle and the kingdom. And it was just really well done. Uh, plus, I love uh, Lily James in this. She just has that earnest feeling to her. She sells honesty so well in her performance. To echo uh, Jennifer, uh, Mr. Bam, and you, Marcus, I-, I was in love from, you know, the word go. I mean, like, every every scene, okay, so Disney films are classically simple. So it takes a real genius to not mess it up. So Kenneth Branagh, I was a Shakespearean actor. He has a deft hand for this kind of just, you know, point-and-shoot camera work. But it feels organic, and it, it, it never was I, you know, overwhelmed by anything. It was just... It was so pleasant on the eyes, and I feel bad for Lily James and Richard Madden because they had to smile for an hour and a half straight. Every take was them just smiling from ear to goddamn ear, and like their their teeth and their, and their cuspids, and my cuspids and my teeth are so pearly white, the, the white of goodness, the white of, of justice, the white of, of love. And again, uh, Disney is akin to cheesy, into, into ham fisting it. But this movie never came off as being over the top cheesy. It was just, it was simple and elegant, but it was done with a, with a touch of just earnestness, as Marcus said. And the whole thing came together in this tableau of beauty that is hard to rival. And I know it's Disney. I, I know it's the pristine quality of balls and dresses and carriages and fairy godmothers. But it felt like you could bring your wife to this movie, your grandkids to this movie, a date to this movie. You can be of any age and still find the simplistic beauty of art. And I think it transcends time and transcends race, hopefully, and age. And I, I found it. I found myself smiling for the most I smiled in a long time being in a movie. And I, I loved the casting. I loved Richard Madden. And again, I have to back the part that I love the Game of Thrones actors finding real quality acting work. And I love Game of Thrones. But this influx of them being everywhere, to me, brings me joy as you know a future, hopefully, artist and writer. One bone to pick. Um, Cinderella, as a character, okay, adorable, good singer, probably. I assume vegetarian, which is all A's in my book. 
But but what? But where I think her, her biggest asset initially was was her beauty, and I think that's kind of antagonistic to the whole thing of. If you ever read Madame Bovary, her only gift to men was just sexual appeal. And, like, I think Cinderella has more to offer Richard Madden's kit than just sexual appeal. Yeah, she's a good person, a good daughter, doting, you know, family uh, person. But initially what grabbed Kit, a.k.a. Richard Madden, a.k.a. the Prince of Narnia, whatever is what I was told was, was that she attracted them visually. And I think she's more of a woman than that. So Disney has to make women more viable as people first. And sex, you know, roles, secondly. But I hate drawing the name thing again. But what is Kit short for? For, for Kitten? Is it? It's a very, yeah. It's actually a... So, so K-I-T? Christopher? Okay. I, just, I thought it was a Kit Picker, Kit Kitteridge, <laughs> Kit, Kit Harrington. It's just like, how is a prince of Narnia, prince of Europa, prince of, you know, Pangea? Uh, so simplistic. You know, it's so, so kind of tacky. But anyways... Great casting, and, and, and my girlfriend goes to me after the movie was ended. She goes, hey, Ryan, are Richard Madden's eyes that blue? And I'm like, gosh, you know what, babe? I have no idea, but I, I fell in love with him. Like, he has his, his pure ocean eyes that are so charmingly Disney-esque that everything about the film was just so beautiful. So shame on your girlfriends, Marcus and Bam, and shame on Americans for not getting a line. I don't think you're right about the thing you made. You said a comment about how he initially is attracted to her physically. He's initially attracted to yeah. her because she's the one telling him not to kill the boar. She she comes at him with an idea that's very contrary to what they think is true. And he, in fact, you know that's the reason why he likes her, because later on when they're asking him why he didn't go and kill it, he reflects the quote she said to him back to them. So it's it's not about her physical beauty that initially attracts him. It's about her point of view, which he finds to be very different and contrary to the people that he spends all his time with. And it makes sense because she's incredibly secluded. So, like, she doesn't have to worry about these common ideas that most people think about. You know what I mean? She's very different than everyone else is, mentally speaking. And I think that's actually what draws him to her. And that initial conversation they have on horseback when they're, like, circling each other, I really love that scene because it's literally like they're equals and they're battling back and forth with these ideas. It's not It's not about her physical beauty. He doesn't catch her eye because he's like, oh, my God, she's the most breathtaking person ever. Like, she's in the middle of their hunt and they run into each other and then their differing point of views are like them circling each other on a battlefield. You know what I mean? And I really love the way he shot that scene as well. I don't know if he would give the same time of day to, you know, a bar winch from, like, Estonia, a town, you know, farmhand, the same kind of credibility as this young lass who's lost in the woods. You know? Yeah, but she's it's also covered in soot. Like, it's she runs away because they're insulting her for it. Like, she looks kind of like crap in that scene. Like, they're giving her shit because she made them breakfast, they won't let her eat with them, and she slept in front of the dying embers of the fire because it's so cold in her attic that, like, she has black soot all over her face. She looks kind of like a bar wench or a farmhand. She's completely roughed <laughs> up in that scene. Her smile transfixes him. Yeah, but that's like, okay, but that's a thing, you know what I mean? Like, if someone looks like Kate Blanchett does in that entire movie, actually, that's a terrible thing to say because I still thought she looked really good. Yeah, exactly. You can't make her look mean. Like, she can be a bitch, and you'd be like, oh, my God, the curve of her neck is ridiculous. Look at that hat. Yes, look at that hat. What? Like, that's the other thing I want to know. You know, there's something to be said, like, and I agree with uh, Ryan in terms of, like, how uh, Branagh's experience as a Shakespearean sort of uh, actor and playwright is, like, really, like, something that informs a lot of this movie because the way he, like, slowly, like, reveals 
all of these people in different ways. Like the first time you meet um, Kate Blanchett's character, whose name escapes me, Lady Tremaine. Thank you. She has that giant hat on and she turns her head and it's like the most graceful pan to go along with it where you finally see her face. Like it's just incredible. And then I love the camera work on the dance scene, the way it's like it weaves in and out the way they move and it moves around them. It's, it's so fluid, so beautiful. Like the camera work in that movie is pristine. That's really like what it boils down to. It never, ever takes precedent over the action. It always accents it. And it's really impressive how he was able to tread that line so finely. And that was just a beautiful dancing scene. I mean, just, that was amazing how those two characters were, you know, to dance like that, just not even, you know, knowing each other. And just that intuition of how the other moves. It was just so beautiful. I can't imagine from a practical perspective how many times they had to practice in a dress, though. (laughs) I like the way that dress moved. Uh, it looked really beautiful while it was moving, like, and I don't normally like, like, vintage dresses like that, but I thought it was incredibly elegant the way it moved around her, too, you know what I mean? And when she twirled and stuff, it, like, it really worked well. I guess, and this is going to be the new thing with the Disney films going to live action, is they're going to add more texture to these characters, where they're not just a cartoon cut out of, oh, she's evil, that's her name, she's evil. I mean, she's called Lady Tremaine in the first film in 1959, but... You know, no one actually knows that until this one. You've you've explained her backstory, but I love when she sits down in the attic and says, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you about how I was in love and I was married and I had two beautiful girls and then my life was shattered. And, you know, she really does blame Cinderella for her problems, but you know what? She's got a point. She's got a point. Because you know what? Her second husband kind of sucked. Cinderella's dad, I'm calling you out. It's a bit unfair, I think. Yeah, I agree with Ryan on this one. That's a little unfair. I mean, the first thing those people say when they walk into this house is they insult it. This house that has been with their family for 200 years. I'm not saying, like, she's the best. I'm just saying, you know, going into a second marriage with teenage daughters, you're, you're mar- in this time period, you're marrying because you have to, basically. So you think, okay, I loved my first husband. He loved his first wife, but maybe at some point we can make a life together. But this guy isn't even trying to make a life together. He's just like, nope, got to go away on business. Whoops, forgot that. Here, here's my kid, by the way. I just didn't want her to be alone all the time and talking to mice like a crazy person. One, that's adorable, not crazy. (laughs) It is adorable, especially since the mice obviously can understand what she's saying. It's not, but it's adorable versus crazy. Because obviously there's that humanization of the animal characters in this. But, you know, if you were outside, if you have a child and you're watching a child and you notice that they're just, you know, talking to animals, you know, at some point, you might want to intervene and get them like, I don't know, a book club. (laughs) <laughs> I'm pretty sure there were a bunch of medieval book clubs that she was just like, nope, I only read books with mice. Sorry, guys. Maybe a goose, but that's as far as I go. No, um, I don't think that's fair at all. You know, that's his job. That was his job before he married her. He met her doing that job, so she knew what she was getting into. That's what he did. That was his life. She accepted that life. And she joined into that relationship. And I don't think that she really brought much to the table either. She always had her ideas of what she wanted out of that. And, you know, she was okay with him leaving because it meant that she would live in somewhat of a sense of relative comfort for that time and period. But after he died, it became very difficult for them because they had no one to bring money into the the house. You know what I mean? He's got a third kid that she got stuck with. 
She she didn't get okay, but I could argue at the same time they came into her life, not the other way around. He brought them yeah. to Cinderella. He didn't bring those people like he didn't bring Cinderella to those people. It was the other way around. They came and lived in her house and relegated her to the attic and made her do all their chores in her house. I'm just saying there's a reason why she feels that way. I don't think that she has as much of a reason as you're saying though, because she's accepting all of those things. The only person who doesn't get a choice in the matter is Cinderella. And maybe the other two kids were horrible anyways so who the hell cares you know what i mean but but it's not like he went up to her and he was like bitch now you marry me you know that's not what happened she accepted the marriage she knew what was happening you can't make that argument because she chooses to go there it's not against her will you know what i mean and oh the only thing cinderella gets to choose is whether or not her father perceivably gets to be happy with this horrible person and i would argue that she was angry ever since her first husband died and she was that mean yeah. from the beginning you know so saying that she got saddled with a shitty second husband i think is a little bit disingenuous because he wasn't he wasn't any different than he portrayed himself to be and we don't know how she portrayed herself to be but as we can tell she is not beyond making very very shady deals to get what she wants oh yeah absolutely so we don't we we can perceive easily based on her character that she had portrayed herself one way and then once that that deal was locked down, her true colors came out. That is not beyond the character they have portrayed. But with her dad, it's like he met her abroad while he was going and doing his job, like relaying, uh, what was it that his career was? He he would like, merchant. yeah, he was merchant. an intermediary for merchant, uh, like merchandise. So like he would go all over the place and sell stuff. And like, that was what he did. So being like, oh, he just left her there and did his job. Well, how do you think he met her doing his job that he was doing before he ever met her? It's not like after he married her, he was like, now I'm going to leave. I've never done this before, but since you're here, now I'm going to leave and saddle you with my kid. That's not what happened. Like, that's a really narrow way of seeing what occurred. You know what I mean? Like, that's not even kind of how it occurred. And and the other thing is, Cinderella was like, oh, they can have my bigger room. And she's like, yeah, and you can live in the attic. Like, that's, like, yeah, she was really saddled with that, right? Yeah. You'll be more comfortable in the attic now that you mention it. And Cinderella's like, what? Like... Like there is, there's no way you can make a logical argument to her being the wounded party at the end of all of this. Like that's ridiculous. I'm not, I guess that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's, I like that you don't think, oh my God, she's just a bitch because that's her name. I don't you know, understand how Tremaine means bitch. Mother, but... So she's evil. Well, they don't ever explicitly call her evil. I was waiting yeah. for it. I was waiting for it the way that Peter Griffin waits for, waits for someone to say, this presents a clear and present danger, but it never happened. <laughs> Her cat's name is Lucifer. Yeah. Thank you, Ryan. Thank Cruella you. Cruella Deville. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If it were up to Jen, she'd be like, "Her name's not Cruella Deville. It's it's Jennifer. Her name is Jen. <laughs> <laughs> She's just misunderstood, guys." I'm just saying, like Leave her alone. She's yeah. nice. I like her. <laughs> I just feel like it's just really, uh, you know. Yeah. I do not understand why she didn't just like why she locked her in the attic though and you know she's just up there singing and she just didn't think that no one would notice that she like had this like weirdly heavenly voice flowing through her house and just like I don't care I, I don't know what you're talking about mice what <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess that's supposed to be, like, the, the comical aspect of that, right? That, like, after her plans are all unfoiled, like, she just plays coy with it. And I guess, like, the funny thing is that, like, no one no one honestly believes either of them. But Selen Skarsgård's like, nothing to see here, nothing to see at all. Let's just go now. Like, that's just supposed to be the joke. You're looking for? 
<laughs> these, these, <laughs> these are not the droids you're looking for, exactly. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> oh, man. How awesome would it be if that actually happened? Disney owns Star Wars. I could totally pull it off. They're like, hmm, uh, but Cinderella 2. <laughs> in space. Watch wandering around in the backyard. They fit right in. They seriously would. I think that you could totally pull off an Ewok in a Cinderella movie. They're, they're furry, they're nice, and she talks to them. So, you know, it would be totally fine. Exactly. No, I'm saying Ewoks also speak, so isn't that far-fetched? You know, as, as mice don't speak in this one, Gus yeah. didn't, didn't talk, unfortunately, but Ewoks do actually communicate in their Ewokian language. Ewokian language. I love that they made, by the way, in the in the 1959 film, it's Gus Gus and it's Jack. You know, yeah. Jacques. The, now in this one, it's Jacqueline, his mouse wife. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you want to talk about a wounded party, Gus Gus's wife has to deal with quite a terrible husband okay that is an argument you could logically make all he does is eat everyone's food he just eats it all the time he's the worst mouse ever <laughs> that's true if he hadn't eaten so much cheese he would not have been the weight that finally got the window open so gus gus you were pivotal take that to the bank <laughs> His entire life was leading up to that one moment. <laughs> he died right after opening that window. It's like at the end credits, in memory of Gus. <laughs> in memory of Gus Gus. <laughs> to our late mouse friend, Gus Gus. I, I definitely have to see Jen's point. I mean, it's there in the flesh. Her husband did pass away. She has two just of the brattiest daughters. Mm. The history of cinema, probably. Her husband, new husband, just passes away randomly on a business trip. Her new stepdaughter is is the epitome of perfection. You know, long flowing golden mane. You know, smile from ear to ear. Loves to talk to mice. I mean, what more can you want in a daughter? So she has to be reminded of her awful life through her young, amazingly beautiful daughter every minute of her of her now spinsterous life. So I do feel for her in the sense that she she has had a bad luck the last few years, but she is still a bad. <laughs> A capital C UN next Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, I get that much. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I just feel like, uh, you know, other than saying the fact that they humanize this character to a certain extent, being like, of all the people in this movie, she had the worst deal. One, her, her kids are probably bratty because of the way they were raised. It's not like they just appeared and they were like, we want serious, like, what is it that babies want? I need want? a parasol, damn you. <laughs> Don't forget my parasol. But what about my parasol? <laughs> I love, I love like uh, the first branch of the first tree. He actually brings it back to her too. <laughs> like At that point, what's the... The whole reason she wanted it is so he'd come back with it. Giving her the tree and leaving him dead didn't exactly work the way it was supposed to. <laughs> Still, like, not quite what she was looking for. That's all I'm saying, you know? But, yeah, no, uh, that's... I mean, I guess I could see your point with that. But being like she's the... what I asked for. <laughs> I want to take a quick moment before we wrap this up to talk about how amazing and uh, like well-earned I thought the scene where the fairy godmother turns her dress from the pink one into the blue one is. Jamie thought it went on for a little too long and she spun a few too many times, but just the sheer beauty of that moment, I think, was really like awe-spiring. Like the way he like put all these geometric lines and when it flowed, it was still like very rigidly lined, even though it was like it was like moving, but it was also still at the same time it was a really like a gorgeous
gorgeous, gorgeous scene. And that's saying a lot considering how many different scenes are really beautiful in that movie. It is a beautifully shot film from beginning to end. And that scene specifically like really stands out. And it's amazing because it's one of the most important scenes in the movie. And for them to have given it the proper weight was really nice, in my opinion. I have to say, though, I do need to bring this up. As a woman, I understand I'm probably going to offend other women. Maybe they should have taken measurements before they tried to turn a freaking pumpkin into a coach. And, you know, thought, <laughs> you know, like, that's not going to fit in there. That, that's not going to fit. Like, I, you know, I can't tell, you know, I'm not, not, I'm not big on the construction aspect of things, but how do you even explain what happened in the greenhouse? Just saying. You're hoping that stepmom's not going to look outside and notice that there's some construction going on. I stand by my assertion that she doesn't eat pumpkins very often. <laughs> well, and also I wanted to bring it up. It's so funny because um, I think the godmother brings in this otherworldly quality, obviously. But she's asked her, do you have like a kumquat or something like that? And she's like, uh, Cinderella, I don't know what that is. This is a daughter of a merchant. If anybody's going to know what things are that come from other countries, she's got a shot at it based on even the fact that she speaks French. But, you know, just to show that how tiny Cinderella's little world is in that moment. Like, do you, do you have a kumquat? I don't, I don't know what that is. I don't understand why she asks for a kumquat. Of all the things you could possibly turn into a carriage, that is the smallest. <laughs> so you don't ask for a pumpkin, you ask for a kumquat. That makes perfect logical sense, guys. Like, what? What? Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to, but in argument to that statement you're saying about the greenhouse thing, I think that the reason why they did that, there's a reason for it, and it's because the exterior of the greenhouse informs the carriage. It gives it its golden accent by taking that part of the greenhouse. So it's actually like really awesome how they kind of, I don't want to say it's practical because in the end it's a pumpkin being made into a carriage, but there's a certain amount of logic <laughs> in like utilizing all of those materials and making what they make and making it look the way it looks. Like you can't have like this very golden, elegant carriage made out of a pumpkin it doesn't work that way though i suppose i can't really argue that either because it's a fairy godmother waving a wand to make it so uh i've undone my own argument at this point i'm just gonna stop <laughs> no but like you can see how the material she takes can be reformed into what it becomes you know what i mean because that's kind of the point of that entire scene she's taking existing materials and using them as a base to make other things like the dress becomes a nicer dress the pumpkin and the vines on the pumpkin become the carriage uh, and along with the greenhouse, it becomes, like, partly metallic and partly, like, fruity. And she takes, like, the, the little animals around and makes them, like, servants for her and stuff like that. I, I love the lizards. So that guy, that was just amazing. That when Because he, he's the one, the lizard is the one that says to her as she's getting out that, you know, I started out today as a lizard and now I'm a man. Go for it. Yeah. Go do your thing, girl. And that's, like, a really awesome scene, too. Like, the one where she's like, I'm scared. And he goes, well, you know, ten minutes ago I was a lizard. So, you know, <laughs> enjoy it. You know what I mean? Don't Pretty much. <laughs> that moment, which is very short, uh, like, informed quite a bit. And I thought it was, like, a really great moment in that movie. Um, I also really love when she turns the goose into the driver, where he's like, I'm a goose. I don't know how to drive. <laughs> I can't drive! <laughs> that was great. That was a really funny scene. That entire, like, there's a lot of really great whimsy to that scene. The whole fairy godmother scene was really whimsical and really, like, awesome in its own way. And, like, really, like, kind of set, like, this great tone for that. I, I really enjoyed that. Ryan, any last minute thoughts? I have one small bone to pick about the whole scene. I I'm sorry, this is my, my soapbox again. I wish you would have asked the gooses, so the geese and the lizards, if they wanted to be, you know? 
the the driver and the what do you call them the the door men the 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 footmen foot, they were footmen footmen sorry exactly yeah I mean like they, they didn't have a choice in the matter they're boom lizard all of a sudden boom human being who can walk and talk and you know wear wear nice uh, colored suits I, I would want to at least ask their opinion first before making them these other beings of life you know it's kind of arrogant on her part to assume that you know she's a wand that turns pumpkins into carriages I think she gets to be arrogant just saying. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, so uh, I I think that we've pretty much dissected that film. Uh, Unlike normal, I didn't have a whole lot of bad things to say, nor did anyone else. So I think that we kind of like, uh, that was pretty nice. Cinderella was pretty good. I wonder if Disney can keep this level of like live action fair up. You know what I mean? Uh, What's next? Beauty and the Beast is slated for 2016, right? Bill Condon is making it. You know, I Beauty and the Beast is another movie where I feel like Kenneth Branagh would kick that out of the park. You know what I mean? Like, that is really a Kenneth Branagh film, uh, Beauty and the Beast. But personally, I, I would really like to see Disney make a live-action version of The Jungle Book. I think that would be, like, my movie. Or has there ever been, like, a really proper live-action version of Aladdin or something like that? You know what I mean? Like there, like, there are movies out there for these already, but some of them really don't have any. And just really quickly, really quickly before we go, I want to take a moment, because earlier Ryan said that when, whenever they smile, they like the whitest most perfect teeth well uh, I don't know if any of you guys saw Mirror Mirror but that was like one of the jokes in that that every time Army Hammer smiled like his teeth would literally ding like that actually happened in the movie like, like, he, like he would smile and look at someone and be like ding I think that's like supposed to be like a Disney gag at this point you know what I mean like the idea of like them having the most perfect most pearlescent teeth like I think that's at this point meant to be a joke and I love that you brought that up because it just every time I see that I think of Army Hammer and Mirror Mirror which was a terrible movie but Army Hammer was in it so you know I really like him (laughs) you'll always be the Winklevoss twins for me I'm sorry you do what you gotta do. Yeah, That's exactly. You, you do what you gotta you do. Justify it somehow. But anyways, um, Jen, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk with us about Cinderella. It was really nice having you on. I really enjoyed it. This was our one shot on Cinderella. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Have an awesome day. All right. Dilly, dilly.